another week on the twin Jeremy Irons cast. Happy to be here. Yeah, this this one I guess is extra appropriate. The the twin part of our name. Uh, but yeah, I guess uh, to to start off, uh, I think what's really cool that uh, a lot of the streaming services have done lately, some of our favorites anyway, have made available a lot of uh, important uh, black directed uh, films. Uh, for free for lots of places, particularly Amazon. There's a lot of free-to-rent ones of the the recent uh, previous decade. And then stuff like the Criterion Channel has a lot of Pioneer stuff going on. So to start, we uh, watched some of those, and I think it would be nice to, to talk a little bit about them. It's so important that we find further education right now. Everyone wants to really dig in. There are so many classic um, African-American films, and there's a huge cinema around that. Uh, that's kind of quintessential and unique for our own country's history. So uh, there's a lot to pull from and it's been inspiring. I mean, it not so much like a company mantra, but to open every app and see black faces and black lives represented on the screen. It's rare and it's really beautiful to see a difference. Yeah. And it's important because it is a lot of these films do get uh, buried or kind of left behind because of that perspective of them. Uh, and it's it's important to acknowledge and go out and see see them as well because they are uh, often uh, repressed in that in that kind of way. Uh, I think one of the more famous examples in recent years was a lot of the um, the snub the the Oscar snubs for uh, Selma in twenty fourteen. I know everyone. Mm. Uh, that that was a big conversation around that time, and that's one of the films that Amazon has made available to rent this week. And I believe you watched that, right, Calvin? I did. Um, Selma was made free for rental so i don't know when that expires but it may still be free by the time this goes up um and it's very much about like uh segregation in the um alabama uh, town or city of selma and about uh martin luther king's um kind of speech and uh what the marches looked like about that uh maybe the film itself didn't interest me a lot but the subject is fascinating and when they get to the riots it's uh you don't realize that um, all those old photos of civil rights movements, they're all black and white to make you think, oh, that happened a long time ago. But uh, to see it in color, you know, I mean, they were, they were originally color photographs. And uh, it's not that it's pretty recent history. I mean, uh, we're not far from it. Uh, it we is. look outside and we see the same history. Yeah, it's, um, you know, d- definitely, I think a lot of that part of the civil rights movements gets... Uh, whitewashed in our history books uh you know a lot of the learning about it is focused around martin luther king jr and his more uh peaceful protesting stance but you know it was a hard fight and a lot of the uglier side of that is definitely glossed over and so uh, i think it's important to to kind of consider and see this because that's one of the things i i hate to see the most is, is particularly his legacy is enshrined and uh wielded by uh the the wrong people here in the wrong side of things to to kind of say you, you hear his name invoked a lot by the other side who are frustrated with the uh protests going on but you know really it's it's a lot of the same situation it was in the the 1960s and and uh i think that's very interesting with uh selma as a subject matter and particularly the the famous march you know from selma uh to i think it's uh in alabama yeah uh, and um, it's definitely one I've got to check out here too, and I'm, I'm very happy to see that it was added. Uh, I 
It's one of the few times where the um, kind of before credit sequence where we, you know, we shift to like real footage and the photos. It's one of the rare times where that really moved me, where I thought like uh, Spike Lee's Black Klansman, it was a little bit too on the nose here. It's like a, a perfect transformation of what we need in this moment. And um, uh, there aren't there aren't very many differences between looking at the, the footage back then. Um, I'd say a lot more of the protesters had American flags back then. That's the only difference I saw. Uh, I, I think that is also yeah. because they are looking for you know, equality while we're looking for, you know, something else right now. We're looking for uh, justice, retribution. Re yeah, reform and lots of reform. that. Uh, you know, I've seen lots of, yeah, lots of important things. And so that's an interesting film, I think, that uh, we're talking about a time period. And, of course, uh, the, the history of uh, black representation on film spans much farther than that and uh, over a wider array of... Uh, films as well. I, I only got the chance to watch one very significant one this week. Um, so I'll let you talk about a few more before I get to that one, Calvin. Okay. Um, from Ava DuVernay, I also saw uh, the 13th documentary, which is just on Netflix. Uh, of course, they don't have to make that free or different than it is uh, covered by your subscription. Right. Um, Every, everyone uh, has Netflix still, don't they? <laughs> oh, yeah, I think so. Uh, huge numbers after quarantine, so I think everyone's ready again. Um, Evie DuVernay, I, I never really knew, like, exactly what, like, the tenor of her career was, so I'm really happy to kind of figure out why, um, why she's such a prominent black director, and there's such good reason. I think she's a really perfect documentarian, uh, especially her black subject. She shoots with so much love and, uh, compassion here. Um, even in a documentary, you could kind of exude feeling and find the moral center of your subjects. I uh, really enjoyed this one. Um, enjoy might be the wrong word. I appreciated the perspective of it. Mm -hmm. And this is the uh, the same director as Selma as well. Yeah, it is. Um, and it's just about 13th Amendment and looking at the U.S. prison system and how um, it's derived from slavery and how that was formed around... Um, I, I've also been reading... Um, a book, uh, How to Be Anti-Racist Lately, and it kind of intersects there where we're looking at different kinds of racism, and this one focuses on a more political um, racism that's more about movements in politics and what the right are doing to uh, hold people down and repeating the past. Uh, so there's a lot of that in there, and we kind of have to see this to know what we should do right now. Yeah, it's, again, an important thing to cover, important part of history, and to see that, uh, I guess, again, going back to American history textbooks and the education, is that it's really, really unfairly glossed over, and that, you know, a lot of what's covered is they, they kind of teach you about slavery, and then they, you know, like, the idea of the 13th Amendment is very glorified and considered, like, this, this end to this horrible thing, and... It glosses over a lot of the, uh, you know, immediate aftermath of Reconstruction and how difficult and slavery-like that was in many ways and how mm -hmm. our modern prison system is still basically another incarnation of slavery in many ways and how the justice system really preys upon um, the, the black community in particular to, uh, you know, keep that uh, tradition alive, it seems, in a horrific way. Right now, I think the importance is for us to f 
figure out clean ways to explain what systemic racism is. So I think this is a vital movie at the moment uh, in a time where we, we do need to understand it. We need to get to the heart and the origin of all these things and maybe reform the systems from the point we made those decisions. Yeah, um, it's it's deeply rooted and uh, not an easy fix. At the same time, did, did you have I any feel uh, like... others to to go into? <laughs> a few more here. <laughs> uh, at the same time, uh, I feel like yeah. if you really, I don't know, if we want Black history, we should just look out the window. I mean, there's so much going on around us, and there's so many Black films that are beautiful, and not just about protests too. Like, um, I watched a uh, Black Mother on Criterion. Uh, Criterion's given away. I think there are all free movies now, right? If you're not even a subscriber. Yeah, that is, again, uh, similar to how Amazon has, is that their uh, Black Pioneers package and uh, many other of their films have been made uh, available for free. If you just go to their website, you can stream a lot of these for free. You don't have to sign up at all. Though, of course, I'll continue to endorse signing up for them at any cost. Yeah, Black Mother was a headliner at North Bend Festival, I think, a couple of years ago. It's good to see it getting on Criterion now. Um, it's kind of uh, more like a it, it describes itself more as a baptism than as a than as a film, which seems about right. Uh, you're kind of integrated into Jamaican culture, and it has a lot of swing and like jazzy feeling to it, and it feels freeform. Um, it's kind of like have you heard of Hale County this evening, this morning from a couple of years ago? Mm, I'm not sure I'm familiar with that one. Is that another that one, one to definitely recommend? Absolutely, that one is another fascinating black film that has a lot of you know um a lot of visual poetry of a place um hale county very moving um i recommend these two maybe the most uh especially because it's so draining outside we're so tired and i promise this will be a low energy podcast because uh we i think we're both just overwhelmed by the situation itself right oh and it's hard not to be of course but it's also important to to speak out about it, use our platform to accentuate those those voices, and not only just of what's going on outside, but I think the history of uh, uh, black cinema as well, which is often overlooked, especially by, uh, you know, not just us. But uh, I, I do greatly appreciate that these streaming services have made these titles a lot more visible and available uh, when usually they, they aren't. Uh, and in particularly for someone like me, it's uh, an especial problem uh the the overlooking yeah. <laughs> of black voices in cinema because i do have such an ardent focus on the the classical hollywood studio system which is entirely a white male driven world uh and so i i do often have to push myself to to stretch and watch stuff that's that's less in my familiarity and uh fortunately you know services like criterion have made that during this time very easy to do um just this this week as well i checked out a very, very important uh, historical uh, black-directed film. Uh, the first, actually, the first uh, surviving, the, the, the oldest surviving film by a black director, which is uh, how, called Within Our Gates. How old is Within Our Gates? It's 100 years. It, it was released okay. 100 years ago this year in January. So uh, what a, you know, it's a centennial celebration of it. What a, what a time to watch and see it. And it yeah. is quite revelatory. Uh, uh, the the film itself, like it's, 
it's really uh, un unflinching in its look at so many systematically, you know, racially targeting problems of not only the, the Jim Crow era in which it was made, but also that kind of really resonate and speak till today. And I'm really surprised and uh, amazed by how the director, uh, Oscar Michaud, it is able to uh, catalog so many problems and depict them in a in a really honest and uh, you know uh, hard to watch manner. At sometimes, especially at the end of the film, there's a flashback sequence uh, where the the, f the main female character her her backstory is given how her adopted family was uh, targeted and and lynched by you know groups of white you know racists and uh you know a near uh, an, an intended rape of her at one point in it and it's very gruesomely depicted in the film it's all very hard to watch but it, you know the film speaks to a lot of other interesting i think systematic issues as well and it, and it really doesn't shy away from it even uh i think something that's probably not talked about as much but uh apparently uh the director oscar michaud has you know a focus on the how religion was often used to keep uh, the the black community in check. There there's a preacher character who insists kind of that you know uh, if if they kind of just let the white men have have this world and you know stray from sin and causing havoc that they'll be fine in heaven and all the white men are going to go to hell. And and so it's an interesting uh, theme of the movie in, there as well. And I know it extends on to other works of his. One of which I'm excited to to watch again uh, watch here soon, which is called Body and Soul which is the first film of a major black political activist of the time, Paul Robeson. I've heard great well, things about that one as well. That's a fantastic report. What's the name of that picture again? The The film is called Within Our Gates. It's very good. It's on the, the Criterion channel. Uh, it's It was another case of a film that was thought lost and was found, like an old uh, print, I believe, in, in France. It was found uh, in, in the 90s, and uh, it's missing like a couple of shots uh, that they have to fill you in with some context and most of the English title cards were uh, lost as well so they had to kind of put them back together based on the Spanish translations of the print and uh, the the kind of cultural context of how the language was used in his other film Body and Soul which I mentioned so it's kind of interesting historical artifact too and again a, a, an important film in general a landmark uh but also very sad i think that it's it's not that it's the first it's the oldest surviving one so there were films not only by this director but other black american filmmakers before this that you know weren't preserved and in in 1920 that's that's almost that's more than two decades worth of black film history that's non-existent doesn't exist anymore that's a long time to go without preservation yeah and uh, grateful this one has it yeah, so I highly recommend that one, and of course the the other titles we've highlighted here that have been made available on streaming services. It's been uh, an eye-opening opportunity so far, certainly, and I hope uh, with you know both of these services continue to to highlight these voices for uh, quite some time, if not just continued on, you know. And of course the the surge in uh, power given to black filmmakers in the studios today is uh, a wonderful step of progress that we need to keep seeing moved forward. So we're uh, recommending that people see Selma on Amazon and 13th on Netflix, Black Mother, and Within Our Gates on Criterion? Within Our Gates. Okay. Yes. Um, and of course, anymore, uh, I'm going to keep checking out a lot of these titles. And, you know, thanks again, Calvin, for your recommendations. I'll check out some of those you, you gave me just now for sure.
I think just throughout the year, I think it'll be better for us to start including more. I think it's opening everyone's eyes that um, yeah, well, just there's a lot more we could do. Just going forward, yeah, yeah. certainly in general. <laughs> I think it's a wake up call to society. Here's what we need to cover. Let's get uh, let's get on it. Uh, there's a lot we can do. Um, yeah, until then, not. I guess, <laughs> again, uh, the weight of everything <laughs> happening makes this crushing to go from anything else. Um, uh, what, what's new? Is, Should we talk about Space Force? Is it even Force? possible to transition from this subject? Space Force? Oh, yeah. That was, that was a thing. Oh, so you're talking about the, 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 the new Carell. Netflix show or the, the stoop? Yeah. <laughs> I, I saw something. I saw a post not too long ago that, like, it was kind of debunked, but, like, the idea that the Netflix show might have the chance to grab at the copyright before the actual Space Force does. <laughs> that would be hilarious, but... Oh, that would be so fantastic, uh, after what a thing <laughs> what a thing Trump made out of it, to, to give it to a Steve Carell show on Netflix. That's good. <laughs> yeah, that, that would, be, the, that would was, be perfect. It was so funny because uh, it, it was literally announced like uh, within the week that they announced the Space Force initiative. There, <laughs> and, uh, it was the most perfect timing for a press release. Like uh, Netflix, like we have all this money, we're going to make a show, uh, uh, and the show is more existent than the Space Force, as far as I can tell. Um, I believe they they had some hand in something recently, but I mean, oh, did they? There's, there's not been much. Maybe I'm not paying attention that much to the the goings on of uh, this kind of ridiculous uh, <laughs> new branch of the military. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, I I like the idea of like putting people in space and everything, not militarizing the space. Whatever. I, I think like the cool movements going on right well, now is all yeah. the you know like uh, the public and private companies merging together and what happened with SpaceX and right. NASA and all that. Um, I don't think Space Force is any future for us. And uh, besides, it'll be owned by Netflix. Yeah. Maybe they'll launch the program. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait for the cease and desist to come for that. <laughs> uh, which Netflix yeah, show would you launch into? Tell me about the, into... the show. Uh, which Netflix show would you launch into space? Um, I don't know. I guess... Stranger Things, first thing that comes to mind. I guess that's just what okay. I think of when I think of Netflix. <laughs> I can't do, do you, anything do else. Do you want it it's... set in space, or do you want to abandon the series into space itself? I don't know. I, I guess, like, uh, a space-centric kind of thing could be, like, the next... Cause I don't know. I, I have no idea what they're doing for the next season there. Yeah. Uh if that, but I can't think of anything. Look, man, I don't watch a lot of Netflix shows. You're asking the wrong person. What would you send into space? Maybe 13 Reasons Why. Um, I don't know. Oh, uh, no, yeah, no. <laughs> you're, you're right. Let's let's launch that crap out of here. <laughs> yeah, let's let's get these problematic, harmful shows out of here. Um, I, this show doesn't know what it is either. Um, I had the same problem it with doesn't... Avenue 5, I think it was called, on HBO earlier this year. Another space show that was just rudderless, mm -hmm. had no idea what it was. Between this and then, we had all the Apollo stuff last year uh, mm. for like the 50th anniversary. Uh, so it's interesting that we have all this renewed interest in space exploration. Uh, but yeah. the show's uneven. Do you, you find it's... it funny, at least, with Steve Carell? 
Uh, like first episodes directed by Paul King, the uh, Paddington director. Um, so I mean, it has some moments, but it really is only a show of a few moments. Like it doesn't have like an overarching "Why am I watching this?" kind of moment. Um, uh, it, it has a few moments with Carell, mm-hmm. of course, but uh, it's not that funny, and I don't know why it exists other than to capitalize and steal the trademark from the U.S. military. Oh, that's the only reason it needs to exist. If it can do that, at least, if it can net the title, then, you know, I think it's a success. I agree. I, I think that makes it worthwhile overall. Um, there's all the good stuff's already in the trailer. Just watch that. There's the Kokomo song. Um, not much else <laughs> happens in the first three episodes. So. I don't know what the show is. It doesn't know what it is. That's fine. Um, other oh, than that, we... That's a shame, but... Did we have any other new movies that came out? Why <laughs> Why am I asking you? You never know either. Uh... I, I literally, you're asking the wrong person. I'm here to cover like all the stuff from the older things. You're supposed to be on the new stuff. You're dropping the ball, or is this just you're gonna blame it on COVID? I can. Can I blame it on COVID? We've done it with everything else. So. I, yeah, I mean, blame everything on COVID. That's what we're doing. That's why you know, whenever my mom asks why I don't call, I tell her it's COVID. <laughs> Uh, that's why I do when my wife asks like why I haven't done the laundry. It's a COVID problem. Yeah, um, it's easy. It's your it's your one way ticket out of any issue. <laughs> <laughs> why didn't you pick the kid up from school? Well, I didn't have my mask. Um, so there was a lucky grandma <laughs> the last uh, couple weeks, which was on virtual cinema. Uh, is there uh, is that the site from which you can stream it? Virtual cinema is just like the concept of putting things onto video on demand for oh, a higher okay. premium. That's just the name. Okay, so that's just the name we have for it now. I'm not keeping yeah. up with all of these radical changes. So it's not like a particular website. It's just streaming for twenty bucks or whatever it yeah. is now is, is what we're calling virtual cinema. All right, this cool. One, good, good to know. This one probably like fourteen, fifteen bucks for now. But yeah, a little bit of a premium before you get it video on demand. But uh. This one, probably worth it. Uh, very, very fun kind of Cohen's plot. And by that, I mean like a, a stolen ba- a stolen bag plot um, based in New York City where a grandmother comes into some Yakuza money. It's very fascinating. It, it sounds like it's got that... Uh, I, I read your review of it this morning, which will go up this uh, next week, right? Yeah. Yeah, uh, and it's got like that, that kind of dark comic style to it. Uh, that that is Cohen's esque as he kind of described in the review there, but it sounds really uh like exciting. I, I like seeing this crop of uh, Chinese American centric films coming up in, in recent uh, years here. What with uh, the farewell, I think that was mm. last year, and then uh, like we had Crazy Rich Asians before that, and uh, they've all been very successful. So I hope this one sees similar success. And we're going to see the Crazy Rich Asian sequels, of course, based on the books. It's going to keep going for a few years. So this is going to be a trend. And uh, this one so far is the best, I think. Um, I think Sai Chin, who uh, plays uh, Grandma in this movie. Her name is Grandma, by the way. They don't give her a proper name. Mm-hmm. Um, even other characters unrelated to her, it's Grandma, <laughs> which I love. Um, and I love this um, idea of Grandma cinema. Comedic and action-y, and, like, you got a buddy situation with a big, uh, oh, yeah. you know, like, gang- <laughs> There's... gangster brute for in, in Chinatown. His name's called uh, Big Pong. He's a hilarious, uh, kind of <laughs> large teddy bear character, and 
he is so close to the grandma and they sit and watch um, traditional Chinese movies uh, while he's on protect protection duties. Uh, he takes her to the spa and sits there reading his newspaper. Uh, they have a cute relationship. It's a, and, and it's a fast moving picture. I mean, it has a good edit and uh, clean action, surprisingly. Uh, the grandma's in every single shot of the movie, which I appreciate. Uh, she holds her own very well. Uh, is there, um, you said, you said there's action, so is there a lot, is it really oriented around that action? Um, I'd say that it goes around it a little bit. Of course, it gets a little bit more used to of Big Pong, <laughs> but I think even Grandma has her moments <laughs> in that, so, uh, definitely worth seeing and That's very cool. funny. I'm actually, I'm looking up who plays the Grandma now. Her name is Sai Chin, and she's got quite mm -hmm. the, uh, eclectic filmography here. I don't know if you've, I know. you've looked into her all. She's yeah. in, uh, two... Two different James Bond movies, which is right. really interesting. She's she's in a, a Connery one, and also you know in Casino Royale, but she also has parts going back to like uh, as early as a, an uncredited role in the, the Bridge on the River Kwai. Yes, yeah. really interesting. Um, and in, and in Blow Up, she's in Blow Up somewhere. So really covering a vast array of stuff there. <laughs> it's weird because I think I think she's probably mostly known for like Joy Luck Club and. I don't know. Uh, she's. Uh, it's great to see her as like a main character that gets um, every shot of the movie with her in it. Mm hmm. That's cool. Again, this one, like, you definitely made it sound really appealing in your review, I have to say. And, uh, of oh, all it's the... a fun time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and since we're especially scarce for films currently this year, uh, it's still really tough. This one sounds definitely like one to check out. And, you know high on our list of very small amount of movies that are, you know, very notable this year. Um, also on the site, Kevin's done a really excellent piece highlighting Quibi, and uh, I'd recommend everyone reads that. Yeah, I, I, I checked that out, because Quibi is kind of uh, a, a question mark more than anything, I think, for most of us. Like, what the hell even is this? Why does it exist? Is it worth even paying attention to at all? And, Wait, do we need uh, to Kevin cover this? Really... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> Kevin does a really fantastic job of going over. I mean, I can't believe he committed himself to watching so much of it, especially like because it is an ex uh, a service exclusive to your phone. And for me, I just can't imagine that like watching anything on this this tiny ass screen that doesn't seem worth my time at all. But yeah. he makes a, a fair, I think, uh, an analysis of uh, what it has to offer. How good is it? You know, the potential here, uh, and also the, the fo follies of it. And he talk, he's talking about here with us about uh, following up and seeing if they make any improvements or bring in any more interesting material or anything before too long. So hopefully we'll see more from that. I think there's, I think last time I saw it in the news was it was all about layoffs and how they didn't embrace <laughs> social enough. So I, I don't think it'll make a huge splash beyond now, but I want to see their fugitive adaptation. Uh, what the fuck are they doing? <laughs> yeah, that sounds like the most interesting thing you can get on again like with anything right now if you can get your hands on valuable ip you have potentially the whole world's attention i mean their other valuable ip is kirby jenner so i know that's going well <laughs> i don't know too much else about it but definitely recommend uh kevin's piece that's one of the highlights i yeah. think of the uh the site this week and excited to have coverage for that yeah of course uh definitely want to highlight uh when we have interesting pieces that are more feature based especially 
We always have right. reviews, but uh, features we want to highlight. Well, uh, for this week, I think as we mentioned early on, our our twin name here is a little more relevant. Is this the first twin film we've covered? It must be. I, I can't think of another one. The, the The Shining, I guess? Is that one? That one sort of counts. That one has famous twins, but it's not really about twins. Yeah. Uh, horror directors have always had a great understanding of what the twin is. Um, and anyone who doesn't have a twin, I think, is very interested in the idea of twins. You know what's interesting is all throughout high school, I had, like, several groups of twin friends. Like, I probably knew four or five pairs of twins growing what? up, which is... Yeah, you no, did? I'm not kidding. Yeah, I, I I befriended a lot of groups of twins for whatever reason. One of them, or one of the pair of them has at least survived out of high school here. Uh, but I, I knew a lot. Uh, do you, do you uh, mean one, all the One of them twins, I grew up next to. Do you mean all the other twins died after high school? No, no, they didn't die. Oh. I just, I, oh. I stopped, I stopped being like friends with them as much. Like I lost oh. touch, I lost connection. There was like I, one of them. I ended up going back. They used to be like neighbors when I was growing up. I and then I didn't see them for like a decade. And then I ended up working at the same place as them after high school. And then they went yeah. off somewhere else. But I, well, yeah, they didn't. I don't know. They didn't receive the same fate as most twins. The death after high school clause. <laughs> Yeah, that's a the the tragic symptom of uh, <laughs> being born at the same time. Is that, I is guess that your your clock is a little shorter? I guess my I guess I had two groups of twin friends. I I didn't I never thought of it. Yeah, that that really yeah. happened too. So um, how many they, how two many survived high school? Life. None. None. I don't oh, know why sad. you had to make it dark and remind me. I was being serious. I, I did grieving my friend's deaths. So. Were they no. really? Oh God! I didn't. No. Oh, uh, I'm, I'm I, so I confused now. <laughs> Twins, man, they're such an anomaly. You don't know if they're alive or dead. Or and you never know who's not... who. So <laughs> if you just run into one of them, you don't know if the other one really survived oh, that, the last meeting. That that's the one thing I found having lots of twin friends is that they're not as similar looking as you think they are. They're a lot easier to tell? tell apart. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, we we had a joke about one of them. Hopefully, he's not the one listening to the podcast. But uh, we always identified him because he had the dumber looking face. We always said <laughs> it, was, it, it was a mean high school thing. But that was well, that was our joke between them. <laughs> my closest twin friends. One of them didn't have a left hand, so I never wanted to say it. But I was always glad he didn't because I could always tell. <laughs> I I never could say it to him, but really good guy. But. Uh... So, I guess that's the the least realistic part here is of uh, Dead Ringers is that the twins look too similar, and that's obviously because it's one person playing them. Um, I guess we did. I guess we did Social Network, so we've done the Win- Winklevoss twins. That that might be our oh oh yeah, that's twin get. That's, that's another one. Okay, so so the the Shining twins, the Winklevoss twins, and now the the Dead Ringers twins, which is our most <laughs> twin centric. Twin Geek cast yet. Until we get to Twin Peaks. So. <laughs> Eventually. Uh, but Someday. yeah, this this is, uh, sadly, I can't believe it's taken us this long, our first David Cronenberg film for the podcast. I don't think I, I don't think I know as much Cronenberg as you think I do. <laughs> Maybe. I know you, you just recently, you and a bunch of other people for, from the site just watched Crash together. It was like a group... <laughs> watch around crash which was a very 
sexy movie, I hear. It's very sexy. Yeah. Uh, but... Very, uh, very mechanically sexy about cars and... Uh, but it's well really about crashing and getting off on it but right that was an interesting thing we woke up at like 8 a.m in the morning and um we're all like let's watch crash together <laughs> what what is that <laughs> it, was, it, it was very <laughs> random very like organic happenstance where like i, I think it started because one person watched it and like didn't yeah. like it at all and then everyone's like i gotta see what this is about and, and everyone else is just like nah man this is great <laughs> I, I watched it and I was, I was so impressed with it. I don't think I've seen that much Cronenberg though. Like I've seen, you know, like the fly and existence. I thought we'd probably get to first, but uh, I'm sure that'll be on our list. Yeah, C- certainly. Uh, this one just happened to be available, but th- I guess that is a surprising blind spot for you since you're such a big horror buff and Cronenberg is one of the, <laughs> like the horror Kings, uh, you know, especially during the eighties where everything really flourished. He just knocked great films out one right after the other and well, looking through it now <laughs> I, I, I might have to take it back that i've seen a fair amount of these but i think i think my big hole like in my horror movie watching is videodrome yeah i've been telling you to watch videodrome forever because videodrome is probably like the most cronenbergy cronenberg yeah. film it's it's super weird and surreal and uh psychosexual and uh it's terrific and i love it it's probably like my favorite even though i think the fly is a lot more polished of, of a fly film. is so great it is uh, there's so many we could get to i'm surprised we started here but also oh, glad to get this out this of the is way. a good one and and dead ringers is is kind of interesting because it's not as cronenbergy but also still very very cronenbergy but in a different way <laughs> and i guess it's uh, it like two shots that go into body horror just as prerequisite (laughs) right well and i guess what's what should be done is that we should kind of define what the cronenberg of it all means because yeah what well what would you characterize as the cronenberg of it all so Uh, what what is the trademark so cronenberg is is definitely like the king of body horror kind of stuff but Mm -hmm. what he does with body horror is that he uses it to accentuate a kind of internal uh and uh internal fixation on the the horror of change and transformation and lack of control over your own self and that's that's definitely evident in stuff like videodrome and the fly and uh mm-hmm. even here the 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 internal conflict of dead ringers it's not accentuated by a lot of outward grotesque body horror stuff it's it's amplified by uh the theme of it which is this loss of identity and this kind of uh conforming to to the singular self uh between two people and losing your sense of self in that that spiral and that's kind of the main thematic focus of uh this one and (laughs) i think they all have really interesting mechanical um ideas about humans operating with tools like in your zoom background here we have all these (laughs) uh all this gynecology equipment and this is the most gynecology ecologically accurate movie there's ever been i believe yeah there's... it's it's very gynecologically focused uh and yeah. and that's a it's a very specific subject and uh it's a tough one i can't believe uh that my fiance was willing to sit down and watch this again <laughs> with me because that yeah. kind of stuff is super duper uncomfortable for her and and we kind of talked a little bit about that after the film as well this idea of a very male-centric misogynistic kind of view of uh the the medical world about it and it clearly only someone like a man could come up with this kind of stuff like these things are scary as fuck and they're one of the the single uh 
physical a- aspects of it that are more Cronenberg-like. And, and I was I was thinking about what makes them so effectively unnerving, and I, I kind of landed on the idea that they're this bizarre mixture of uh, organic kind of material. They look like bones, really, is what they look oh, yeah. like. But they're still encased in this hard, metallic, very bulky apparatus here. They, they don't it's... look... At, at all practical in any way and i think the the opening sequence of the film is a very good demonstration of that too because the the pictures in the opening and in the credits they're done with they they demonstrate the tools in a way that mm. reminds you of old 18th century medical journals and torture devices that's what the drawings yeah. kind of depict so it's a really great opening sequence that kind of sets the stage for what's to come I think that got me thinking in the direction of Geiger already. Um, uh, just as from my alien fandom, looking at like the phallicness of mm-hmm. the gynecological tools, especially their old like old civilization discovers aliens and creates a medical journal kind of look. They're definitely very alien uh, devices, and that's uh, the, the kind of interesting where they come from in the the narrative of the film is that. Uh, one of the twins, uh, Beverly, who is the one who's kind of focused on research and discovering and, and taking apart the anatomy of it all, uh, thinks that, you know, as he's slowly kind of going crazy, he's thinking that there's something wrong with all of the women he's inspecting and that they're mutated. And so he has to make these devices that that are able to deal with the, the mutation of uh, the, the uteruses and such. And... Uh, I, I don't understand what any of them are supposed to do necessarily, which I think is the point. They're just supposed to look really, really scary. And I can only imagine what someone like my fiance feels like when you, when you see those equipments and, and they're used, there's, there's that scene uh, where, where they, he goes to use them for the first time and they're all horrified by, you know, all of his assistants are horrified by the equipment or when uh, the, there's the other scene where he's inspecting the woman. He uses the gold speculum, believe is the yeah. word but but it might not be because i'm not as good okay. terminology uh but but he's using that to try and open up and she's complaining about how it hurts and then he like he goes up next to her uh, as she's lying in the stirrups and talks about this woman who had to get inspected after she had sex oh, with a dog and, and it's yeah it's a really, really uncomfortable it's a really uncomfortable scene but but she kind of highlighted for me as well why it's even more uncomfortable for that woman's perspective because she said even in you know any visit like a gynecologist has never gotten that close to her face and so like that idea and that intimidation so yeah i can only imagine this film is even more effective for someone who can can empathize with that predicament way on a way more personal level but even so for me like all of the the idea of the the kind of genital invasion and everything like that it's it really gets under your skin without ever showing anything really explicitly. Everything is still portrayed fairly modestly. Like we said, this is the the less crude or grotesque of the Cronenberg horror films. It still gets there. It, I don't always know if it's a horror movie. I, it doesn't always have the the emblematic it's, like, signpost. It's more... Or... Right, it's it's definitely more dramatically uh, driven, but the idea of I think you're you're losing of identity and getting lost in this obsession and this downfall of uh, a drug spiral, it definitely I think it marries the idea of a straight drama and horror together very well. But I just again, think if we say horror and gynecological, you might go <laughs> in thinking one thing, but it's definitely not that thing. 
Right. Well, especially when you attach Cronenberg's name. Like, this film sounds like the most disgusting, grotesque thing on paper when you consider all the elements, but it's really not. It's a lot more palatable than you think when you think of something like, uh, you know, the, the climax of The Fly where... Uh, you know, the, the Brundlefly giant creature is having parts of him blasted off and leaking everywhere. Yeah. It's a disgusting mess. And, and that is all but absent from Dead Ringers, minus one really effective uh, nightmare sequence where yeah. uh, where Beverly and El- Elliot are, like, attached together by the hip and his uh, yeah. his actress girlfriend, like, like bites through it and like like spits out this thing it's very gross but very effective in in the framing of a nightmare scene like that in a film that's otherwise extremely grounded it's almost more effective just to have the one moment in some sense exactly other than like a yeah. build-up of a lot of them to have the the one shock moment that goes full cronenberg um yeah i i hadn't seen this since i was very young and on a lot of drugs uh i don't know if this was the best movie to watch on drugs but now i kind of remember feeling <laughs> a little bit freaked out by it i uh, i can imagine uh especially with the kind of depiction of a, a drug addiction and a downward spiral that le- leads to a really really abysmal ending it's, it's very dark i think it goes and i i really like the way that one is going uppers and one's going downers like the way that they feel and they're like i have to take something to get me to here is the feeling that you have internally as a drug addict anyway, uh, the two sides pulling you up and down on a kind of roller coaster of, uh, you know, uh, endless pain. Yeah, and it's as much, I think, about that addiction aspect uh, in, in many ways as it is about, like, this sexual perversion, because that's yeah. also a, a constant theme of Cronenberg stuff. And I think the... I, I didn't think about it at the time even watching it for like the second or third time is that the the mm-hmm. opening scenes of the movie, uh, which take place in the past in various periods, they go by very, very fast. They're very short scenes and they feel kind of tacked on, I think at first, but then thinking back, I, I thought about how, especially the opening scene when it's the two kids and they're talking about sex and they ask a girl, if they would have sex with them for like experimentation. It, yeah. It sets the stage for the the kind of the theme and the uh, establishment of the characters here, and that they are very clinically obsessed men, and they they kind of revert into this single intimate uh, relationship between each other, and the only uh, you know ways they allow themselves outward uh, with other people, especially females in their their later lives, is for the uh, the exploitation of them. Again, it it is very I think. Their their characters are very misogynistic because they do abuse and trick and manipulate women in various ways for various different degrees of gratification. There's always a feeling that it's more about them anyway, that the, the women are just conduits for their own uh, sexual interests in each other, it seems like. Yeah, well, starting with the idea of the, the actress that they meet, you know, in the early on and the... Uh, the, the more suave and uh, sophisticated brother, Elliot, uh, seduces and sleeps with her first, so that way Beverly can sneak in and get the uh, the sloppy seconds, as they kind of they, they establish that they've done their whole life, because he's a lot more yeah. of a socially awkward creature. And it is, it's, it's a disgusting, you know, manipulative practice, and they, the film's not afraid, of course, of calling that out and displaying it as it is. I don't think it ever makes them... Like like you're uh, rooting for their characters, they point. They're definitely deplorable characters, both of them. 
but you know the the tragedy of their their spiral and their obsession and everything is still something to to hook onto for for a dramatic thrust. It's fascinating that watching it, you could tell the difference between characters. Um, it, just because it's Jeremy Iron, of course, you could have like the easy symbolism of of clothing and a lot of stuff that would define a character physically, but the way he acts is completely different. He holds himself different. Um, you wouldn't even need a change of clothing clothing necessarily to be able to tell who's who just by body language and uh, how he holds himself. It's it's a very it's a brilliant uh, tour de force performance from Irons. Really, uh, truly, not only to play uh, two characters in a convincing manner, but to to separate them by very small distinctions. It's and I don't think you rarely ever lose track of who's who in the film. Only towards the end, no. as their as their personalities are intentionally to, beginning yeah. to morph. Yeah, like as we get closer to the end, and they're becoming more like each other more dependent in in many ways and that's when he starts to again intentionally morph them but you know of course early on and throughout most of the film their characteristics between beverly and elliot are very distinguishable very easy to tell who's on screen at any given moment and the incorporation of uh, a single actor into two spots in the frame it always looks clean you know how many times yeah. have we seen a movie like this where you're playing a dual role and you've got like the the very clear divisible line where the frame is split and it never looks like that the camera is moving a lot in scenes and it never you know there's never a hiccup or anything it's entirely yeah. a convincing illusion it's not all irons especially i mean there's such good cinematography that it does create that cinematic illusion of of duality um and it does a lot to give him credibility there. Uh, there's, uh, I, I wish it spent a little bit more time with the girlfriend who questions their, their, um, who's able to kind of see the differences. Uh, she's more aware and is able to pick up on, you know, what's different between them. I'd like a lot more of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, her, uh, well, early on, I believe her, Claire is her name, the actress that we kind of go yeah. back to throughout. She's uh, definitely a, a lesser character. Well, she's kind of uh, important, but th her absence then is a major point for Beverly's character where he begins his spiral and he loses control right. of everything. But her her absence is definitely felt. And again, because the film is so male-centric, it does take on quasi-misogynistic qualities at points. The, there's it the, does, yeah. The other girlfriend of, of Elliot's or whoever she is, she's really only existent for a single scene where she like is flirting with with Beverly at one point uh and, and she's not super strong but again the the women aren't the focus they're supposed to be objects of um you know observation and fetishization and yeah. uh, manipulation you know by the characters throughout and that's supposed to be the perspective so that's a part of part of the flaw there as well but the I another mean... big strength i would say of the film is that it takes on this very gothic uh atmospheric feeling throughout uh especially due to howard shore's uh fantastic uh, organ-like score at times yeah the score is very good and it is very dense in its feeling i could it i could feel the gothic part of it and um a lot of the coloring a lot of the reds and blacks very strong yeah i was going to point out that that might be the only time where it goes a little too far too hammy <laughs> is the uh the robes that just these like yeah crimson like red robes they're they're cool but they're, they're kind of incongruous with the rest of the film yeah. which is very grounded uh it reminded me of uh vincent price's outfit in the mask of red death <laughs> yeah exactly which uh, i 
which is like a strong red that really attracts all the attention of the camera right there. Um, it, it's interesting because what's going on around the, the robes and whatnot you want to be focusing on, but they're so vibrant that, that you're just looking at them like the like a painting. It's just leading you toward uh, certain objects uh, with yeah. red. Yeah, and, and it's not the only time. Like I think there's another point where uh, Beverly's character wears like a red shirt not too mm. long after uh, one of the operation scenes, and it's it's a prominent color throughout, but it definitely is a it's a it's a striking color in a movie that's otherwise filmed uh, with very uh, '80s business, you know, kind of dark color schemes. Yeah, um, I think it it must embody a lot of '80s filmmaking technique, and it feels like a strong '80s movie. Um, have you seen De Palma's Sisters? that's not one i've seen but okay uh is it similar in this vein would you say i'd say it's very similar and i think they're about on the same wavelength for me where i really appreciate both of them and they have the um i guess that one was probably like 10 years earlier i can't remember when sisters was but i believe i'm 72 so more like like 15 yeah okay yeah uh sisters fantastic and um i I feel like it has a lot of the same through lines of that. I I'd recommend that movie um, for a follow up. It'd be a good double feature. Seems interesting. Gynecological follow up. <laughs> it sounds like a doctor <laughs> appointment. <laughs> Punny. Oh man, um, but I uh, I just kept thinking of that movie, and I'd rather uh, watch that one. I know uh, Margot Kidder even from that movie was one of Cronenberg's choice to play the girlfriend. Mm-hmm. It's it's interesting everyone got involved. I know that Jeremy Irons wasn't even the original uh, choice, but you know he's such have? a. Uh, I gotta look it up again. It's uh, William Hurt is who it was. William supposed to Hurt be. would have been good, I yeah. think, but not as good. Oh yeah, this is to me. This feels like uh, you know really the Jeremy Irons show most of the time, all the way through. He's just, uh, he's so fantastic uh, in, in both roles here. And I, I mean, anytime you can listen or hear Jeremy Irons' voice, it it works so well in a movie like this. Sometimes the way he inflects something, it means a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it's, it's not just him. The direction is really great. It's, yeah. it's very classic cronenberg stuff the score is beautiful the film is done it's filmed very beautifully too throughout despite it's 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 a very reserved kind of cinematography but still very uh noticeably striking you can't really dismiss it as like genre anything it's very classically done and uh well considered i think uh it doesn't have any real technical problems no, I, I don't think so really at all. And uh, I think, again, despite its uh, lack of Cronenberg's signature in some ways, it's still in, uh, unquestionably uh, his style, his kind of film, thematically especially. And it does a terrific uh, job of being that and being well within his oeuvre. And uh, yeah. I think it often gets overlooked because it's not as uh, uh, surfacely grotesque as some of his other big films from the time period. But... It's definitely up there for I think one of his his best efforts and uh, trademark works for sure. Okay, I think it would have been better if it were called Twins. I have to say, <laughs> I think it would have done better, and I think it would be remembered better in our memory because I think that would be more poetic. 
Uh, no, I, I like Dead Ringers as a title, especially like the the dead part of it. It, it makes it feel a lot more, uh, you know, like like horror centric, uh, and, and kind of accentuates that part of it. But I actually I like the original original title more, which didn't get used because the studio sh- shut it down, which was Gemini. Gemini would have been okay. I I really like Twins myself, but it's, <laughs> it's I think just it's the obvious thing. <laughs> well, yeah, it just seems, it seems too obvious. It doesn't. I don't feel like it tells okay. me much about the film, but I don't know. Like, uh, th- there's another film called Twins, anyway. Yeah. Um, so tell me about that. There was uh, they they paid <laughs> someone off. What was it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So um, this, this is a 1988, the same year as the Danny DeVito Arnold Schwarzenegger film called Twins, and uh, originally this. This was to be called Twins. Dead Ringers was going to be called Twins, but uh, Ivan Reitman really wanted to use that name, so he called up Cronenberg, and I think he paid for it. Maybe he just asked him, and he said, "Sure, whatever." Uh, and so they got that name and swapped it. So, but this this was originally going See? to be called Twins. <laughs> Look how emblematic to our culture that movie became. If this just had that name, <laughs> um, it may be the same poster, like a Jeremy Irons, like leaning over onto himself, would be good. If uh, I want to see a Photoshop of that now, like the <laughs> '80s comedy Dead Ringers poster <laughs> with Jeremy Irons. Well, I just like kind of Dead Ringers. Also has like well the death and then the ring, of course, and then the meaning of Dead Ringers, which is like a double for somebody. Uh, it has yeah. a few. It sounds gynecological. Something about a dead ring. I guess that's the that's the thing that's missing from a twins title. Like, does it? Yeah. Does it capture the whole spirit of the film? Uh, that, that's always an interesting subject matter. Is is the titles of a film because it's as much like an artistic uh, emblem of the film as it is a tool for advertisement, and so that's a whole interesting uh, study as well. Do you have a Do you have a favorite it- film title? Movies already being like such a, a combination of commerce and art that um, I'm going to have to think about favorite film title. What's yours? Uh, my favorite is, uh, no surprise, a, a Billy Wilder film because he's a writing genius. But I love the, the many layered descriptions of uh, Ace in the Hole. Ace it's in the Hole is title. Really and it's good. even Yeah, well, because it, it, uh, it creates such an image of it, not only this kind of gambling aspect and the kind of the dirty practice of that, but the very literal idea of an ace in the hole, uh, in the fact that it is about a, a scoop of a story that's trapped in, in a cave, in, in this hole in the cave that he uh, Chuck Tatum is exploiting. And that's really great. And it makes it even more kind of a, like a great name chosen because the studio did interfere at one point. It changed the title of the film to something really stupid <laughs> um we covered last last week a fistful of dollars which of course is i i really like how evocative that is of an italian western mm-hmm. i'm i'm waiting for you to say under the skin i'm so sure that's going to be your actual selection no <laughs> uh, i mean it's great uh but that was already the book's title so i can't give it that much credit right i mean uh, that's good uh, yeah but, but the, but they just but the film the didn't name. come up with it yeah it's yeah, got to be more yeah. original it has to be from something else, I guess. But um, I looked up funny movie titles on Google. Um, the man with the smallest penis in existence and the electron microscope technician who loved him. That's pretty good. I'll go what? with that one. <laughs> <laughs> A nymphoid barbarian in dinosaur hell. Are these porn movies? Fertilize the blaspheming bombshell. What the f- 
This just reminds me of the time you came down here to the rental store and you found those weird titles. I can't I can't remember what that one that you, you grabbed was, you saw. Oh my god. It was ridiculous um, though. I can't wait till we're able to go back to there. Oh, dude, I'm dying. I'm dying for it to open up again. You have no idea. Attack of the Killer Refrigerator is pretty good. Uh, I thought you were going to say tomatoes. I know. It's a twist. That's where it gets you. Yep. Attack of the Killer Lawn Chairs. Is this a series? Attack of the Killer Duct Tape. Holy shit. <laughs> oh, These Jesse don't sound James. real. Jesse These James don't... meets Frankenstein's daughter. Ah, <laughs> uh, you know, I have heard of that one. I know that one, at least. Okay. It's so weird... I'm not making them up. Okay, fa- fair, fair enough. I guess it just goes to show that anything's up for grabs. The Nutsoids at Cannibal Cove. We're just going to do another hour of this, so uh, maybe we'll put this in a bonus section somewhere and we'll upload it. <laughs> Can Heronius Merkin ever forget Mercy Humpy and find true happiness? These are too long. You can't sell these. Yeah. You can't even fit it on a marquee. No, it wouldn't even fit on a DVD cover. You'd have to nope. get a longer case. Oh, this one's good. Don't worry, we'll think of a title. <laughs> That's a good movie title. With that, Dang. I think we've run out of things to talk about. Oh, yeah, I think we covered quite a bit, though. I'm glad that we... I got to show you another Cronenberg film. That's that's more blind yeah. spots we're going to have to cover. Hopefully, come October, we'll hit at least one more. If not, we'll have a good excuse. Should I save Videodrome and do, like, a first impressions in October? Maybe, but also... You should just see Videodrome. Everyone should okay. see Videodrome. It's it's great. Uh, I, I love it. And it's got more of that uh, very odd sexual perversion nature to it. Uh, I don't, I don't want to say too much about it, but definitely more, more kind of vaginal imagery going on here, which is fun. Well, um, thanks for coming on again. I know everything's heavy right now, so everyone stay safe out there. Yes, thanks again. And we'll be back uh, next week with something else.